we've got to be able to to identify those things and then write processes that make sure that that people are protected, that make sure that the church is protected, to make sure that uh, that ultimately those variables and how we do things, the step by step by step process, is eliminated. Hello and welcome to another episode of Law and Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. Hey, Josh, uh, we're back in the studio today, excited to jump into the topic of better processes for our churches. But uh, before that, how's it been going, man? What's what's up with you? Man, not bad. Doing uh, doing life, you know. I hear you. I hear you. Yep. Absolutely. Had to take a had to take a week off uh, on the podcast just to deal with some uh, just just some life stuff. Uh, that stuff happens. Absolutely. So, uh, anyways, we're back. We are we're back. back and ready to roll. I'm very excited to jump into all of this, and uh, we have you know kind of following with our our process and procedures and you know bylaws. And I mean, we you know the whole point of this podcast is to help church leaders um, that are in the fight in the middle of it every single day and uh, make sure that they're taken care. of of looking out for the future and preparing. And so, um, you know, we're going to jump into these. So basically, I'm, I'm going to run through all three questions that we're asking uh, around these better better uh, uh, processes. So, um, you know, why are we doing this? What are we doing? And how are we going to do it? Um, and I think you've kind of laid this out pretty well today. And so I'm excited to kind of jump into that. So um, let's kind of start jumping into, you know, three questions every church process must answer. So um, why are we doing this? Yeah, so you know we talked in our, our last episode uh, about better policies, and so if you haven't gone and and listened to that uh, that episode, you certainly want to go do that because policies and processes or policies and procedures they're not synonymous; they're they're different, uh, and we need to be able to recognize the difference, and and we need to make sure that. Uh, we we draft them differently uh, because they serve different purposes and they do different things, uh, and so you know last time we talked about how uh, through through better policies or, or to to create better policies that we did so where policies had a basis they had a a, a grounding in law or ethics that said here's why we have this policy they have an objective or a goal that says here's uh, you know what we want. Uh, to accomplish because of this policy. Uh, they have procedures uh, that are attached to those policies, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But then they also have scripture that kind of forms a, a, another foundational level of that policy and all the procedures that that policy is going to govern. And so then we move over to the processes piece. We're kind of asking some of the same questions that we're asking on policy. Uh, and in policy, when you talk about what's the basis of this policy, what's our goal or objective, what's the scriptures say about this, they're all kind of answering the same question of why. Why are we doing whatever it is that this procedure is supposed to uh, help us accomplish? Uh, and so we have to be able to answer that. And there are a whole lot of uh, of people out there who who talk about this. You know, I've heard uh, Andy Stanley's podcast uh, several years ago talked about how the three most important questions are what, why, and how. And you read Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, uh, is is a, a good book. And so people need to understand why are we doing something. And so, you know, a lot of times when we're talking about policy, it's hard to train to policy uh, because policy is so overarching. It's so broad. It's, it's hard to get that down to the specifics that we're talking to in terms of training volunteers or training staff. Well, now we're talking about processes and in in doing process and in in writing process, we have to do so in such a fashion that we teach other people to go and 
do these processes. They have to be the ones who take the step-by-step-by-step-by-step motions to accomplish whatever it is we're trying to accomplish. So uh, people have to understand why, though. You know, and it, it's, I'm sure you get this question. You're a dad. Uh, how many times <laughs> do, do your children ask why? Yeah. All the time. All the time. They won't do anything until I tell them why I want them to do it. Yep. Uh, and adults, grownups are really not that different. Uh, they may not ask why, but they want to know why. And if they know why, that is motivating to them uh, to to do things the way that that policy sets out. So in, in as much as sometimes why can can you know be one of those diversionary tactics that kids use i don't want to do that so i'm going to ask you why and try and lock you up in a 10-minute conversation about the <laughs> yeah. finer details of life uh, but the why can still be motivating yeah it can motivate people to go and and get things done and and ultimately the why behind every procedure that we have is to make disciples yeah. that's what we do in the church we make disciples uh and so that in and of itself is one why, but then there are other whys. Why do we, uh, you know, why are we going to implement this particular procedure? Well, it may be that we're uh, doing this because we are uh, recording or, or broadcasting on Facebook our services uh, to make disciples, or mm-hmm. it may be that we are taking care of children to make disciples, or it may be that we are going on mission trips to make disciples, or it may be that we are hiring people who will go, then go make disciples. Whatever the case may be, the make disciples part should really be part of why in all of these pro- uh, processes, mm-hmm. uh, as well as a whole bunch of other um, whys, yeah. a whole bunch of other reasons why we need to have these types of policies. So all that said, we need to start with why. We need to understand before we write a procedure, why are we doing this? Because the people who are going to be responsible for doing that procedure, carrying that procedure out, they need to know why. Yeah, absolutely. You referenced Simon Sinek in his book, you know, Start With Why, and that's, I, I would encourage you, and we, maybe we can put this in the show link, the show notes there, um, just that he has a little five-minute YouTube video from, like, back mid-2000s about, you know, people buy why you do it, not what. Not yeah. People buy, yeah, why you do something, not what you do. And so it's a big, big thing, especially in churches. I think we, we have already a path laid out for us of why, but we lose sight of that so quickly um, just in everyday, because, you know, it's it's a hard work a lot of times. And so it's like we have to revisit that consistently. Why are we doing this? And I think that that helps us be able to actually put better processes in that because it always references back to why. Yep, absolutely. 100% correct. All right. So the second piece is what are we doing? Yeah, real simple question. What are we doing? Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, we think that's a simple question, but it doesn't have a simple answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's a gentleman who is uh, who was kind of famous for uh, process management and thinking organizationally, and uh, he was a scholar, and he kind of dabbled in a whole bunch of different things. But one of the things he said uh, in one of his writings is, if you can't describe what you're doing in a process, you don't know what you're doing. Mm. And I yeah. read that one time, and <laughs> the first thing that crossed my mind was, well, it kind of steps on some toes, uh, steps on some of my toes. I mean, you yeah. think about it, I don't know that I could necessarily with everything that I do with every phone call that I take with every issue that I address for churches, I don't know that I have a process in place for all of those. Uh, so is it true that I don't know what I'm doing? Well, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> I hope that's not the case, but yeah. with every, uh, but I, I will tell you this, that uh, every time something new comes up, I'd, I'd write a new process for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start with a new process. We start yeah. with an algorithm, uh, you, you know, and we, we, we put these things on autopilot, but we do that for a reason. Uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get into how, but we, we write a policy. We talk about what we're doing in terms of a process 
because we want things to run on autopilot. Mm-hmm. You as a church leader can't do everything in the church, despite what other people may tell you. Uh, you can't do everything. And so you have to design the system in which people are going to operate and when mm-hmm. people are going to um, you know, volunteer their time and their energy to fulfill a particular objective of the church. But that has to be based in process. It has to be based on a step-by-step-by-step-by-step-by-step um, process by which we get these things done. And if we don't have that process, then every time that something is done, it's going to be done differently. And we don't want that. Uh, and there's a really good legal reason why we don't want that is because it, when there are that many variables, there are bound to be mistakes made. Yeah, yeah. If, if you do it different every time, there's going to be mistakes made. And when mistakes are made, there's a possibility for somebody to get injured or mm-hmm. hurt or suffer financial loss or get angry, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And if that happens, there's a chance for a lawsuit. And if there's a chance for a lawsuit, there's a chance for liability. And our ability to make disciples goes down. And we, we don't want any of that. Yeah. And so what we want is to make sure that we have a process in place, that what we do is in an almost an algorithm format that you could program a computer to do. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to take the human element out of it. Don't, don't mishear me on that. We, we don't want to take that human element out of it, but we want every human, every soul, every disciple who's fulfilling any given process to do that function the same way every time. Yeah. Because if they do it the same way every time, then we take out those free radicals, those variables that can lead to liability and lead to a lawsuit. And so we've got to be able to clearly define what it is we're doing and we've got to get really small. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so we can't say, here's our process for taking care of children. Well, you do 200 things as a church to take care of kids. Yeah. Um, You teach Sunday school lessons, you take kids to the bathroom, you take kids outside to play, you take kids uh, or you, you uh, play with kids on the floor. You have volunteers who are working with kids. You've got to vet those volunteers. You've got to do background checks. You've got to have, um, I mean, there are just tons of stuff that we do to take care of kids. So you don't have a, a procedure to take care of kids. You have procedures mm-hmm. to take care of kids or processes to take care of kids. And so you've got to get real small, define every little thing that you do and say, here's what we're doing. And if you can't do that, if you can't really define what we're doing, we need to to ask ourselves, okay, is it necessary? Mm. Do we need to be doing it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and if we don't know what we're doing, if we can't define what we're doing, we can't put it in simple terms, maybe we just need to simplify it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we need to just not do it at all. Yeah, uh, yeah. kind of depends on the context. So we've got to be able to answer that question. What are we doing? Absolutely. Yeah, and one of my favorite authors, uh, Donald Miller, talks about this. If you confuse, you lose. Yep. And this is this is hits home exactly in this point of, you know, what are we doing, making sure that we simplify, make sure everybody understands we're all on the same page. We know why we're doing this. Now we know what we're doing. And now moving on to the third point, how are we going to do this? Yeah. And so then you've got to get even smaller, uh, you know, and I know it, it's difficult to hear me say something like you can't just say, here's our process for taking care of kids. You've got to have a whole bunch of processes in place and you've got to get real small and you've got to have a document for every little thing that you do. I know that's hard to hear, but within that document, you have to have every little step in that process. It could be a step for how do you prepare your Sunday school lesson. It could be a step for how do we get the coffee ready in the morning and something that seems so mundane. It seems so mundane. You still need to have a document that says, here's how we get the coffee ready. Mm -hmm. All right. And you know, there's, a lot of people who are, are in favor of tort reform will always refer back to this McDonald's case. Mm, the hot coffee? The hot coffee, <laughs> you know. Um, uh. <laughs> I spilled coffee on myself and burned myself 
uh, and um, I'm going to sue you for it. Well, coffee's hot, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people chastise this lady. Here's the deal, uh, at least so I hear. This yeah, this yeah. may be a wives' tale, uh, but basically the reason that McDonald's was liable is because the quality of the coffee was low, mm-hmm. which required it to be hotter in order to get the coffee flavor out of the bean. And that's what um, caused it to be more hot than it should have been. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all that said, had there not been that procedure in place, we're going to buy cheap coffee and rack the temperature up as high as we can in order to get all the flavor out of it. H- had the process been different, we're going to buy this quality coffee, we're going to cook it at this temperature, we're going to brew it at this temperature, and mm-hmm. so forth and so on. With that different process comes reduced means of liability. Yeah. Now, that's not a policy. We don't have a policy that says, step one, buy medium or high-quality <laughs> coffee grounds. Yeah. Step two, set temperature at whatever. Step three, pour it into a cup. Step four, make sure you have a lid that says, that's not a, that's not a policy. That's a process. That's a process, yeah. Okay, so the policy is we care for our customers or we care for the people walking in our doors. We, we uh, do what we need to do to, to ensure the safety of the people who come to our churches. All right, so that's the policy. One of the processes that falls under that is making sure that we have good quality coffee that's not too hot. It's yeah. not going to burn people, okay? Because in as much as McDonald's was liable, your church could be liable for the exact same thing. Absolutely. And churches under the under the auspices of stewardship will skimp on coffee. Yeah. Yeah. They'll buy cheap coffee. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I mean, you got to cook it. You got to you got to brew it at a higher temperature, uh, and somebody could get burned. So that case is precedent even for churches. Yeah. Churches can get sued for too too hot coffee, and that's not even to mention well, what happens when there's a coffee spill? How do mm-hmm. we you know what's the process of cleaning that up, and who stands you, you know guard and make sure that nobody slips and falls? Because guess what? If you don't have a process on how the church handles coffee spills and somebody slips and falls, you've got a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we've got to have a process in place that at least minimizes, if not eliminates, the possibility that somebody's going to slip and fall on spilt coffee. Yeah. So, again, we've got to have that um, this process of how are we going to do all these things. We've got to get a whole lot smaller. Yeah. Uh, and we've got to break these, these processes down to step by step by step by step. And this is where we really, number one, we have to think worst case scenario a lot of times. So we need to probably talk to a lawyer. Uh, give us a call. Happy yeah. to talk through that with you, because uh, that's what we're trained. We're trained to think worst case scenario. So yeah. we need to think through worst case scenario. Okay, what is the worst case scenario? Now, what are the steps to prevent that from happening? So we've kind of got to anticipate what could go wrong. We've got to anticipate what could go right. Mm-hmm. We, could, we need to anticipate, uh, you know, it, reactions or responses to the things that we do that are neutral, neither good nor bad, not mm-hmm. fish nor fowl. They're amphibian, whatever. Um, we've got to be able to to identify those things and then write processes that make sure that that people are protected, that make sure that the church is protected, to make sure that uh, that ultimately those variables and how we do things, the step by step by step process, is eliminated. Yeah, yeah. We've got to make it teachable. Yeah. All right. People look at at policy and procedure manuals; those are not teachable. Uh, when was when was the last time you read a policy Ooh. manual? Uh, <laughs> I knew that question just, was coming. <laughs> just, just for just for the heck of it, you, you know. know? Well, it's usually my Saturday afternoon reading. I, I'll <laughs> usually grab a you know binder full of uh, all processes and procedures. Yeah, and review. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but we don't write policy and procedure as something that should be taught. 
Uh, but we should. Yeah. We yeah. should write it in Teachable. Now, we need the bullet points. We need the step-by-step-by-step process. But at the same time, it needs to be taught. And so not only are we writing process that says how do we do things, we're teaching process on how do we do things. And that's where the church law group, formerly Church General Council, has really developed a level of expertise, not only in in how we help churches draft these policies and procedure documents, but how we train the people who are actually going to go carry them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the online means of getting that done. Uh, and, and so ultimately all that to say, it is important that you go step by step. How do we do this? And you yeah. have a great process in place. And if you have that, not only are you minimizing liability, but you're also increasing your efficiency and your effectiveness. You do it over and over and over again. You see where the hiccups are. Mm-hmm. You see where the slowdowns are. Okay. Let's change that. Let's pull that particular obstacle out of the way. And now your church is more efficient and you're more effective. Yeah. Because everybody's doing the same thing. You get this, uh, what Colin Powell called a force multiplier. He was referring to optimism. But uh, you get these synergies mm-hmm. uh, where the sum is greater uh, than the whole of the parts, uh, or the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, uh, where you know two people working together, doing the same thing the same way every time, results in more return on that work than two people doing things independently and differently. Mm. If they're doing things together, doing it the same way, ultimately you end up getting exponential effectiveness. And so you just become more effective. Uh, and so we don't want to pull spontaneity out of it. We don't, we're don't. we not automatons. Uh, we're not computers that you can just program. And so we don't want to get too legalistic with it. Uh, but at the same time, there are some things that need to be done the same way every time, yeah. uh, and it will increase the security of the church, it will increase the effectiveness of the church, and it will increase the efficiency of the church. And those are all very good things to have. Absolutely. Yeah, and I hope that you, know, as a church leader, you're listening to this and thinking through all of the processes that you have in place right now at your church, and you're able to really review that and think, you know, we need to update this, we need changes, or we need to start you know, yeah. that's, I think a lot of churches, uh, you know, you don't think about these things because you are every single week jumping into it, making sure that, you know, the, the teaching is good and everything is just kind of going through the motions. Right. And, um, it does take one little thing to kind of break the whole, the whole system down. And so these are just really good things to, to think about. So, um, this has been great, Josh, uh, any kind of final thoughts to kind of wrap up, uh, what we've been, what we've been talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, the key issue here is we've got to be able to distinguish between a process and a policy, okay? We, we haven't talked about policy today. We're not talking about writing policy. Policy has a basis in law or ethics or in your bylaws. It has an objective or a goal. It has multiple procedures that that policy governs, and it has scripture that supports that policy. And all of those things really answer that why question. Why do we have this procedure? What's the basis? What's the objective? But we still have to have those step-by-step-by-step processes in place that fulfill or at least help fulfill the goals of the policy, that help meet that policy objective. Uh, And if you see that you've got a procedure that ends in a result that is different than what your policy is, you got to change that procedure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so it's just really important that we make sure we distinguish between those two and that we have different documents. You have a policy document and you have a procedure document. And, you know, a lot of the things that I hear is, well, it's just too hard. It is too hard for us to be able to knock all of that out. Um, and I hear, I hear that 
you got to start somewhere. That's exactly okay? what I was about to say. Yeah. One bite at a time. Yep. Let's pick up one poly. Let's, let's find those areas in your church where you're the weakest. Let's find those areas where you're the most vulnerable to um, legal liabilities or maybe the area in your church where you're least effective. Let's find those areas. Let's break them down into policies and break them down further into processes. Why are we doing it? What are we doing? How are we going to do it? When we can do those things, let's just do it one at a time. Uh, and if you need some help, certainly reach out to us. We'll be glad to glad to help you out with that. Absolutely. That's been another episode of Law and & Church. And all the resources we've talked about today will be in the show notes. Uh, you can get those show notes on the Church Law blog at thechurchlawgroup.com or on our podcast website at lawandchurch.com. And, of course, the show notes will always be available in your favorite podcasting app. That's right. And go do us a favor. Please go subscribe and review to our podcast. Listen, our heart is for the local church, and there are church leaders who really need to hear this stuff. And your review and subscription of the podcast just makes it that much more likely. And certainly we're going to be talking about stuff next week uh, that you're going to want to hear as we go into more detail. So uh, your subscription is also going to help make sure that you have access to that. And so uh, go do that. And then also make sure to go join the Church Law Group on Facebook. Just go to Facebook, search Law and Church, and you will find that group. You can also find the link in the show notes. Thanks, everyone. Yep, And we will uh, see you next week.